Welcome to the Pogel Podcast. The Pogel Podcast is a new conversation from the Pogel Project that celebrates innovative educators both in and out of the classroom. You will hear about what inspired them to become teachers and how the practice of student-centered education transformed their classrooms and improved outcomes for their students. Learn how they're innovating outside of the classroom as well. Join us as we think out loud with Pogel educators, researchers, and others working to transform teaching and learning for the 21st century. Our guest today is Dr. Sheila Qureshi. Dr. Sheila Qureshi joined Weill Cornell Medicine in Qatar as a senior lecturer in 2007 and was promoted to associate professor of chemistry in 2018. She obtained her Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry and biology from the University of London Goldsmiths College. Dr. Qureshi received her PhD in synthetic organic chemistry from the University of Wales's Institute of Science and Technology, now University of Cardiff in the UK, where her PhD thesis focused on synthesis of C-glycosides. She did her postdoctoral research at the University of Zurich in Switzerland and then moved on to work in the chemical industry where her work involved pharmaceutical production support and development. Qualified in education as well as research, she was involved in the initial development of the Pilot Foundation Program at WCMQ where she supported both students and faculty. In 2009 and 2010, she received the Excellence in Teaching Award in the Foundation Program. She is a member of the Royal Society of Chemistry. Sheila and Alex, thank you very much for being here today. And Alex, I will now pass the baton over to you. Today I'm interviewing uh, Sheila Qureshi. Uh, She teaches at the Weill Cornell Medical College in Qatar. And Sheila, I want to uh, welcome you to the Pogel Podcast. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the institution uh, that you teach at and perhaps give us any uh, contrast between your institution and what we might expect in higher ed in the U.S. Okay, so I'm, as you said, at Well Cornell Medical College in Cuthbert, and um, we are, you know, obviously a satellite branch of the one that's in Ethica. But the difference, main difference here is that we're just, a, we are just the medical college. We're not, uh, we don't teach anything else other than, so we are a college in uh, Education City, which is funded by Cuthra Foundation. And it has about eight colleges like Carnegie Mellon, Texas A&M, um, Georgetown, but they all do specific subjects from that, each of the main campuses there. So uh, Cornell is here has been established about 17, 18 years now, but I've been at uh, WCMQ for 13 years. And I was uh, recruited to teach on the foundation program in chemistry because some students weren't doing as well when they went into the pre-medical education. So our curriculum consists of um, uh, now a foundation program, two-year pre-medical education program, and a four-year medical degree program. So we are very much into an interactive learning. So I, start, um, I started off obviously with Pogel in my department, then later on a colleague decided to do uh, um, team-based learning um, in biology, and then we do a lot of PBL in the medical program. I have been there for about 
a few years. So when I got to copyright and I got this job, I really thought there must be a reason for me coming here and there must be something that I'm meant to do here. Now, I'm wondering, uh, can you describe the kinds of courses that you're, that you're teaching, that you, you're sort of a medical college, but you're also doing some preparation before medical school? Is that correct? That's right. Yes, that's All right. right. And, and so you're teaching chemistry or are you teaching other courses as well? No, it's chemistry, general, general chemistry. Okay. And so, so this might be the kinds of courses that students would take as a pre-med in the U.S. So like if they were before yeah. going into medical school. Okay. Yeah. Yes. The difference mm-hmm. in our uh, program is that at the end of two years, they don't actually call, uh, get a degree. So it's all the essential basic science courses, et cetera, that they need to be able to do the MCAT, which then will allow them to go on to the medical program. So it's not a, a degree awarding program. So if they don't get anything out of there, then they, we have two other options. We've got Carnegie Mellon that can, they can continue and do a, bio, a biological sciences degree, or they can go somewhere else if they'll take the credits. But okay. that's the difference in our institute that doesn't award a degree. Listeners in the U.S. sort of recognize that there are a number of these institutions, as you described, there in Qatar. And so students will move from one to another, depending, you know, if their uh, interests change or see that the medical program is not where they want to go, they can go into, into a different one. That's, that's... It's not automatic, but they can apply. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sort of. Huh. Yeah, they can apply and be interviewed and considered like anybody else. But when the biological sciences program started at Carnegie Mellon, it was also with the idea that if students didn't make it into the medical program, then rather than it being wasted and going to and not getting something, they can go and complete it at Carnegie Mellon. And then right. before Carnegie Mellon came to, I mean, before they did the biological sciences degree, our students that didn't make it used to go to Texas and A&M and end up doing a degree in a chemical engineering or an engineering degree. So, but that's, uh, you know, that was in the beginning. Yeah. Interesting. So you, you initially said that you were recruited to come teach in Qatar? No, actually, um, I, my husband came, he, kept, he works at Qatar University so I applied and I got, I got the job. Okay. So you moved there and then found, found yes. the position. Okay. Yeah. So have you always had this interest in teaching? Where did that come from? And what was your experience like when you started? So I started obviously teaching in English. And no, when I was at school, it was never one of my interests. In fact, I always say this story to friends that I used to love history. So I came obviously from immigrant parents. My parents came from Pakistan originally. And those ta- in those days, our parents used to push us towards sciences more because they thought those were lead to doing medicine, engineering, etc. So I'm one of the products of that. These are early generation people who wanted their kids to succeed and, and thought sciences, etc. were more important. So it was never, they would have never said to me, don't do history. But I couldn't see a career other than ending up in teaching with history. So I decided that, okay, I'll go along with what my my mother particularly wants is strive towards medicine. But I didn't make the grades, right? So I ended up um, uh, doing a degree in biology and chemistry. And then I decided, okay, 
I was pretty sure that if I was to go in industry in the UK, I, w I labelled it as I'd probably be a glorified technician if I didn't get further qualifications. So I decided to do a PhD because I did very well in my degree when I was at college. Mm -hmm. so, so I ended up doing a degree in organic chemistry because that's the subject I was particularly fond of when I was at university, which was I went to the University of uh, London uh, Goldsmiths College and I did my degree in biology and chemistry there and then subsequently went on to do a PhD in organic chemistry. And then I went to do a postdoctoral research in Zurich in Switzerland mm -hmm. and decided that really this wasn't for me, the research, because it wasn't, I wasn't really a be all, be all and end all researcher, not especially not what my professor Vassala expected of me to be day and night, you know, just be dedicated to this. And I thought, no, that's not me. So then I went back to the UK and decided to go into the chemical industry. So I went to, I became, I went to work for Boots. So it was a, you know, they also, they're not just a, a Boots, a retail outlet. They actually started right. it, but you know, chemical, the chemical industry and produced right. pharmaceuticals. So I went to work for Boots and I worked as a production sport and development chemist, uh, um, for a new drug that they were um, going to put on the market, which never went on the market in the end, uh, because in the final stages of human testing, it, uh, it was um, deemed uh, dangerous to people with underlying, elderly people with underlying health conditions. So, right. so this is the time when I decided, okay, they're looking for people uh, to uh, downsize now. I volunteered to do redundancy. I thought this is my chance now. I wasn't really, again, that happy in that field because, again, you end up having to have little personality and uh, you just have to work in the chemistry field. And the other thing was that during my PhD, I was the only female. And again, in industry at that time, I was, a, I was the only female. So it was a bit, you know, I was feeling a bit isolated and a bit limited. Right. So. Mm -hmm. um, I then thought, well, maybe I'll go as a, a trainer into industry because I was interested because I'd done so various little projects, outreach projects with, I did one for women who had suffered mental illness, a return to work course. I'd done some projects for schools. So I will, you know, in industry, you know, so relating it to industry. So I decided that I needed maybe to train, go, go back into industry as a trainer. Mm -hmm. But it, it seemed that they needed lesser qualifications uh, uh, for that uh, area. And um, it was like starting from scratch. There wasn't actually any course to train me for that. So I decided, well, why don't I do a, te a teaching qualification? So I went back to university and I did a teaching qualification. It's called a postgraduate certificate in education. So um, then I thought, well, no need to waste this qualification now i'll go into teaching right you you, you took the rather the long way around um yeah to end up here because i mean you know a lot of people that i know who are doing what we do in in teaching in higher education often it was they got held there usually not long after graduate school but it sounds yeah. like you took the the alternate route so you after getting this qualification you so we're looking around and ended up in Qatar and then... Oh, no, no, no. I taught in England oh. first. Oh, so okay. I, 
Yeah, yeah. No, so mm. I decided that when, so my certificate in education is for secondary school. And I decided really I did not want to be uh, teaching in secondary school because I didn't want to just be busying myself with class management, etc. I, I wanted to actually teach the subject then. So I went into what we call, um, what you call is the equivalent of a community college. It's further mm -hmm. college of further education. So, right. and then in that way, I was uh, also able to do a foundation. Uh, I taught the foundation year for Hertfordshire University. So I had like, so before I went to Cuthbert, I had like six or seven years of teaching um, foundation chemistry. And so when uh, they wanted to start the foundation year and they, they'd already got somebody for a pilot foundation for the six, for one semester, but they asked me to sit on, because nobody in that, uh, that had been selected had taught in a foundation year. So I had, so they wanted me okay. to just, sit in all the classes etc and and then when the chemistry person uh decided he didn't want to stay in copper um i applied and i got the job okay so you had quite a bit of a teaching experience before you got to your current position when were you introduced to pogel and you know how did how did that come about so this was uh so i started teaching at cornell in 2007 and this was in 2000 and 11. So a colleague who had not been there that long uh, was uh, a PhD in education in biology and um, she was you know and I used to talk to her about you know again the same thing there's a reason I'm here I want to do some research or you know there's a this is an absolute unique situation you know, that I find myself in the first time foundation program. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching Cuthbert, you know, there's lots of new things here. So she found this, uh, found these uh, workshops uh, being advertised, which was a, a three day workshop at Delaware. So the workshop was on PBL, uh, peer led teacher learning and Pogel. So they did, so we had a taster of all three of them. And in the end, um, I was at the end of the Pogel session. I said to my colleague, I said, um, you know, I could do that. And she says, yeah, but you're never going to change, are you? And I don't know why she said <laughs> that, but that was the wrong thing to say to me because <laughs> that was then, okay, now I have yeah. to do it. Right. So maybe Challenge was, accepted, yeah, right? Challenged <laughs> right there and then. And, and I just had to do it then. And so coming from that workshop uh, in, in the summer and then the, the semester starting in August, I implemented Pogel immediately. <laughs> so, and uh, so, I jumped, so you jumped, I jumped in, in with both feet. Yes, I did. did. Okay. All right. And, so, so how did, I mean, so this was a, it was, it was sort of a challenge that, that you took on to yourself. Did you jump in? And, and go completely all Pogel in the following semester? No. How did I that didn't. go? <laughs> so, uh, and then again, why did I choose Pogel? Because it had all the resources, had the books, it had all mm -hmm. the materials. The other one, the PLTL, I couldn't have done because we're not a big enough college. We don't have enough TAs, T teaching right. specialists or anything. And PBL, we were always, uh, it really doesn't lend itself that well to the, the, the our chemistry curriculum, which is has to be as similar to the one in Cornell, uh, Ethica, 
So uh, this one um, was a good a curriculum transition as well as having the resources, etc. So this was a, a two semester course. And when, so I decided to introduce Pogel to my students. And I remember not sleeping the night before and a, couple, and a few days before I'd actually phoned, uh, uh, emailed Rick and said, how long do these activities take? You know, what, what should I, you know, so, and uh, mostly the timing of it, I think was the, uh, the main question because I don't think that really come into the workshop at the time. So how long should work? Can I do it in, in the 50 minute sessions that we have? And he said that they would take 40 to 50 minutes. And so it was good that the first two workshops that I did, um, mm -hmm. I had Rick at the other end of the email to answer my questions because I, right. I was starting at new mm -hmm. and in copper. So the first experience was is that I actually explained to my uh, this new class the students that look uh, this is something new that we're doing uh, you know it's something that I believe in and that's why I'm doing it and just go with it right <laughs> so occasionally so it was um, in the first semester it was really it was a mixture of Pogol and lecture it was a mixture mm -hmm. but I'm very much into a broken lecture uh, style anyway you know, checking for students' understanding as we're going along. So I've never been a, just stand there alone at 50 minutes at a like, do a lecture because I can't imagine anything more tedious than that because <laughs> I used to be bored to death as a student just listening to lectures. So right. this actually does reflect something about me that, uh, you know, my attention span, you know, I would lose, uh, I'd lose attention for a second, lose the thread of the lecture, and then I, what used to say for me is that I used to take copious notes. Well, in Cuthbert, they don't want to take notes that much. They don't want to even refer to a textbook that much. So this was actually, I thought this was a good thing for the students to, to focus them. And with this group, because there was such a chatty group, it was just incredible how it worked on them. You put, put them to task on the Pogel activity and they were just so into it. Now, at the end of the first semester, oh, and I used to like this question that students asked me occasionally, Dr. Sheila, are you experimenting on us? And I'd say, <laughs> no, this is well tested. This is, you know, works or, you know, it's been going on in America for a long time. So it is, right. does work well. And then um, after the first semester, my, my evaluations, the comments in my evaluations were, more lecture, more lecture, more lecture, more lecture. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even, yeah. even if you see students enjoying themselves, they could, they don't have the ability to reflect and see how much they're learning. Even if they do, do a test afterwards, they don't see that they've learned because they have this thing that if you're not teaching them, that they, they've had to learn it themselves. And because they've had to learn it themselves, um, they don't recognize that it's about the learning and not the teaching. So they're, they're busy evaluating me on the teaching, but not their learning. Right. If I've done it myself, well, what can I evaluate about you then? That's their uh, <laughs> kind of. So, but the funny thing was at the end of the uh, second semester, this has never happened to me ever again, but this one was more Pogel, more Pogel, more Pogel. Right. So, so something clicked with that group? Yeah, they completely. I didn't right. see a single comment about lecture. 
they loved it and they right. embraced it. Mm-hmm. Other groups in subsequent years, um, because I think I increased the amount of vocal that I do in the class, they, beca- they can't get over this fact of needing lecture, right? Okay. And even though I can do a small introductory lecture at the beginning or a summary lecture at the end, they still have this idea that they should have a lecture. Because that's what university is, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> you know what, I, I, I had a, a comment from what, you know, although my, my dean is totally happy for me to try different things and do different things and do this puzzle, he never in what, one second said, don't do it when I said I'm going to try this, right? right. And in fact, he's, uh, he was so positive about it that I thought he was actually encouraging me to do it but he actually doesn't believe in it. Right. So, yeah, that, that was going to be my next question is sort of how, what has been the response from your administration your colleagues and those sorts of other influences to what you're doing? And does anybody else at your institution um, use Pogel? No, nobody else does. <laughs> So, so you're, you're experiencing things that, that a lot of people in the U.S. also experience. Yes. Um, you know, in, in particular, if you are um, sort of a vanguard person, you know, the only person in your program who's, who's doing this. Um, but, you're, but you're seeing, you know, gains in what the students are able to do as a yes. result. That keeps you going. Absolutely. Because so I had a, a really... Um, I think I'll read it to you. Beautiful. Uh, so I have done this now since 2011, right? So that is nine years, yeah? And uh, I don't often, I, except from the medical students, I'll, you know, they'll occasionally come and tell the students, look, this is all we do, you know, pogal type of stuff. You should learn it and embrace it. They do say it to the students, right? But students often, those in, the, the, in that time, they don't often listen, I've realized. You would think that they would listen to peer students, but they don't. But this is one, uh, so I got this last year, and it, and it, sa- it says Pogel Appreciation two years later. So it says, um, I'm writing this because I just realized how helpful the Pogels are. When we had to solve them, they were a pain. But now that I'm looking back, I truly appreciate them, especially now more than ever. I have always told my friends, my classmates in the foundation program back then, that the Pogel is very good in the sense that it helped us interact with each other, forming stronger bonds. Also, it helped us develop teamwork skills and make us more independent learners, which we realize is very critical. But in terms of benefit knowledge-wise, I did not think very highly of it, but, and here is why I'm sending you this email, this change today. As part of my preparation for the MCAT, I reviewed general chemistry material. I realized that I'm remembering most of of it from the Pogel sessions we had. I remember the topics I used to struggle with back then and the mnemonics our group used to come up with to remember certain rules. It all came back. I know that many people argue a lot about the purpose of the Pogel and many question its effectiveness. 
it is hard to change this idea for students, especially when they are still struggling with the focals. But I'm sure they will appreciate it and thank you later when they see the advantage. I know this came a bit late, perhaps too late, but better late than never or not. P.S. I was studying, I recalled a mnemonic I studied uh, and made up when we were working together on a pogle and I was so happy. I knew no one would be as happy as I am when hearing this more than you. So I figured I'd let you know. Thank you very much, Dr. Sheila, for everything that you do for us and for everything you endure to make us better learners, despite everything. God bless you. <laughs> so, you know, I have to say from my own experience, I, I, I mean, I haven't gotten emails as heartfelt as that. Um, but more often than not, I will get similar things. It always seems to be an echo, you yeah. know, two, three, five years later. Um, so that's it, interesting that you're, you, you're getting the same experiences from your students, yeah. especially since many of them are going into medical school yeah. where this kind of instruction is pretty prevalent, right? And so your students are recognizing this after the fact. Yes. yes. You know, when, uh, um, and then when, so our teaching award is completely based on student votes. There, you know, there is a, like three or four questions that they, and then they base it on that. And I just think to myself, it's fine by me. It's not about that. It's about them acknowledging later on that they learned and being remembered for that. That's more important to me. Very nice. So uh, I want to, switch gears a little bit because one of the other things that I discovered in, in looking through uh, your background is that you also have collaborated with education researchers outside your own institution. Can you talk a little bit about that work um, and have there been any connections with Pogel with that work or has that affected your, your teaching at all? Okay, so um, this was uh, uh, an absolutely wonderful brilliant collaboration I have to tell you um, so I went for um, a conference so I had found a wonderful survey I think it was by Rennie Cole when she was part of working with the Pogo group and she was one of the analytical chemists so I'd actually found this I'd googled surveys etc and I'd come across this survey and I'd actually used it in my first and second semester uh, when I was doing it. So I did, you know, I did actually collect data. So I was actually doing, you know, the active research or another word, but I, anyway, you know what I mean? I was actually doing uh, collecting data. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually had some uh, research data, um, which, uh, which um, I didn't present at Adelaide. So I'd gone to a conference in Australia in Adelaide, chemical education conference, where I met uh, Professor David Tregust, and you know, he's a world-renowned uh, researcher in many areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I met, uh, I think, Daniel Southern, um, and I think uh, Professor Morrow, Ben Cat, he was what, what, doing his PhD. So I met these people, and David actually came up to me, because at that time, getting um, a National Priorities Research Project grant or the cup was you know something that was people had learned uh, around the world that it was it was um, a grant that was coming out of Cuthra Foundation and right. people from all around the world could apply for it as long as they had a cutlery 
connection, like a, a okay. somebody in Copper, right? So David approached me and said, would you like to do, and, and in Australia, Curtin University, which is where David and all the, the other people I've just mentioned were situated, they um, had just started pole one year before me. And I think Rick Moog and his team had gone there to do some training for them. So they right. had just, so they were one year before me. And so he approached me and said, would you like to do collaborate on a grant if we apply for one of these NPRP grants? And so we applied and we got the grant. Mm -hmm. So this grant led to uh, research. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what, what, you, what you did, how you participated in this? Yeah, so I had, um, by the time I met them, I'd obviously got a couple of years of data, which I, as a, one of the things I really lacked in was educational, education research. So qualitative, quantitative, mixed methods, what did it all mean and how do you do it? And so uh, for me, they were my trainers, right? Mm -hmm. so, and what we did was we wanted, one of our initial ideas was to do a comparison of Pogel implemented in Copper and Pogel implemented in, in Curtin in Australia. However, we ditched that idea because my group, my class was like, 20, 25 students, their students were like 100. So it wasn't really going to be a, a meaningful comparison. So we decided to do our um, uh, research independently. So then who was doing uh, then got the postdoc to do from the research grant to work there. He collected data on the same. So we used the same surveys. So he collected data in, on the classes there. I collected data on mine. We, uh, so we were able to write a separate study, case study in, in Qatar on the use uh, implementation of Vogel and a separate case study in Australia. So in, uh, in Curtin University. And then the other part of our project was to take Vogel to schools in Qatar. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think that was pretty successful as well, but it, I don't, things changed even in Qatar so that, so what we did was I approached the Ministry of Education because you are not allowed to go into schools here without the ministry's approval. Okay. So uh, the ministry chose the schools, the initial four schools, and then another four schools later, and they chose the uh, teachers that they thought should try the Pogel. So what we had to do then was to write our, uh, they selected the topics also that they wanted certain Pogel activities to be done. We actually then wrote the, so the postdocs and the team, we wrote the activities ourselves. So we then implemented them in the schools. We had the postdoc who would monitor the class because we realized it wasn't, so we brought the teachers in, we trained the teachers as well. Mm -hmm. So we trained the teachers, we, tra uh, we then actually went and mentored them in the schools as well, because we didn't think it was enough just to let, let them out loose, because they, if you did that, they would have just used it as a worksheet. Right, So right, and, and they always need reinforcement in that training. Yeah, I mean, yes. Everybody does. Yes. yes, and it was funny, in the second bunch of um, uh, teachers that we had, we had one really, who was supposed to be a really good teacher, but was really outspoken, didn't want to do it, you know, but felt it, 
but then the ministry told him he had to do it and he's <laughs> the one that's the, the most in love with it now but right. the problem with the the teachers in copper is well that most of most of them are expats anyway right there's hardly any cut through teachers they don't really have the time to mm -hmm. write the develop, program, right develop, and develop new materials yeah they don't have time mm -hmm. to do that to the specific curriculum to the textbook etc so they would they are as far as i know they're still using the ones that we we wrote we did write 20 but uh, some some of them may be using all the 20 some of them may be using just the 10. So as long as they're, and then our, one of the ministry people quite high up asked me if I, you know, about implementing it in the schools at large in Qatar, but then there was a drop in the oil prices. And so economically, it wasn't suddenly viable to do the, make these changes. So, you know, it's up to the teachers then. Uh, we did, uh, did succeed in making the, the teachers that the, in the second batch to actually um, become uh, teachers sharing good practice so that other teachers right. from other schools could come and watch their classes and they showed lots of pictures of this happening. So I hope some people did take it on board and the materials were out there free to be shared. We, you know, we also published a paper on that as well, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it did make some difference. Now, it, like for my class, right, I'm not saying that they're doing better than if they were having just lectures. But what they are doing better in is becoming independent learners. And the, my colleague who, um, who teaches the pre-medical chemistry has noticed the difference in the students coming with this, uh, coming from that approach. So it's, uh, you know, for me, no matter how much pushback I've had, I've kept going. Right. So, so this work that you were doing with uh, David Trigas, that sort of helped to inform you, you know, more basically giving you more uh, understanding of, of your own teaching, but also helping to share that with people around you. Um, have you seen any of those students from those other high schools that have had had this experience? Do they end up coming into your program saying, oh, yes, we did something like that in, in, in high school? Because I get that sometimes where some students, you know, in our area have used Pogo at the high school level, and sometimes it's implemented correctly and sometimes not so well. And so students will come in like, oh, not this again. Yeah. You know, do you, has that happened to you at all with this? No. No? I've, I've been waiting. <laughs> For, for that. So the, the reason being is that we're just a medical college and our foundation program is only for Qatari students, right? Okay. So and our Qatari students are a, a very low population in, if you, if you think about, we're, we're predominantly expats in Qatar than the, the local population. Oh, okay. So many of the people who are getting this education in the, in the high school that you were helping these other teachers with are not necessarily coming into your programs. Exactly. So they're okay. not necessarily coming into our programs and they're not necessarily uh, the ones that, that I've, they've managed to have this program. Right. They probably haven't either they've applied and not got in or they've not chosen right. to do medicine. <laughs> so because we have boys girl, schools and girls schools here, right? Okay. It's not uh, the only uh, co-ed in education here is in the international schools. So if, uh, and my students, specific, we specifically went into the 
public schools, the independent schools, the cutlery ones. We didn't right. go into the internet because we feel that they don't really need the help. They've got enough expertise coming in. So that's the, it limits the number of students mm -hmm. that might apply or come in. However, there was, uh, because last year it was the International Year of the Periodic Table, I did do an event last, uh, last year, um, which was uh, where it was schools who were coming to do presentations from years 10, 11, 12, or 13, those 10 onwards. Um, they could do, and this was sent out to all the schools, any uh, independent, international, whatever, and they had to do a presentation of um, the theme of uh, chemistry and medicine. So, so it was elements in medicine this time. Uh, right, met right. quite a few of those students who did presentations at that event, that symposium that I organized, have got into the pre-medical program, but not the Pogel, no. <laughs> and now they're, now they're getting to, to use Pogel. Sheila, this has been quite an interesting uh, interview. I've, I've learned quite a bit. Uh, I very much enjoy our conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for the uh, people? Like, I mean, you already shared this wonderful nugget of you know your former student uh, recognizing after the fact yeah. how wonderful Pogel is. Um, anything else you'd like to share with us at this point? Um, but it's is is I guess. Um, I think I almost liken my experience sometimes to when I was doing my PhD. There's so many times I wanted to give up, but you persevere, don't you? And you, you're persistent. And it's the same thing with Pogel, right? No matter what kickback you get from the students or the administration or from other people, if you believe in it, right, you just have to be persistent with it. I think this is the better, a really wonderful way to learn because uh, even if students don't realize it at the time, they're going to realize it later. So it's, uh, as I said, that, that's the best I can get out of it. Absolutely. Well, Sheila, um, again, this has been a, a great delight. And I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us a little bit about your experiences. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much to all of you for listening to today's conversation on the Pogel Podcast. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Pogel practitioner Wayne Pearson. Please join us next time as we think out loud with Pogel educators, researchers, and others working to transform teaching and learning for the 21st century.